Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my team Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running The rest of their lives <laughs> Might notice I'm getting a little out of breath Doing that um, Unfortunately uh, uh, when I was on our trip to Disney and Universal with our kids, my wife and I both contracted COVID. So here I am at home recording my intro. Uh, but unfortunately, um, <laughs> I got COVID. So it's, uh, it's definitely affecting me. Definitely have symptoms. Uh, hopefully, it will be all over soon. And I'll be back to running uh, a week from now. But we shall see. But with that being the case... I was unable to record a new podcast episode for this Friday, but have no fear. We have a re-airing of a, of a podcast that was beloved when it was first aired a couple of years ago. And I'll say this has been one of the ones that kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people because Mitch Amons isn't a name that a lot of people know, but he's a fantastic runner from down in Austin. Uh, he's actually hoping to go and get an OTQ this coming December, I think at CIM. But this podcast is about much more than just running. In fact, Mitch just uh, celebrated his seven-year sober anniversary uh, last week. So congratulations to Mitch. And upon seeing that, I want to make sure I put out this episode because basically I saw that anniversary. And then I think it was like two days before he even posted about that anniversary, I got a post or a message from someone on Instagram saying how much they loved the Mitch Amons episode from a few years ago. It was completely out of the blue. It's not like we were talking about it or referencing it in any way. So I took that as a sign to re-air this beloved conversation with a really special guy, Mitch Amons. So let's get into it. Hello, Mitch, and welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Mitch. Also, first of all, congratulations. I know that CIM didn't quite go the way you wanted, but you still ran an absolutely fantastic race. You broke 230. Uh, obviously, the first half was better than the second half. You really went for it, and we can talk all about it. I can't wait to do just that. But 227, 31, 538 mile pace came in 140th overall. First of all, how good of a race in terms of like the high quality men and women where you can run a 227 and come in 140th? <laughs> oh yeah um it was just uh it was it was pretty incredible so i was ready i was at, at the start it was a we had a we had a giant pack and i was like okay this will this will probably last for a mile or two and then it just we got into uh 5k and then 10k and the, the pack never got any smaller we were we were shoulder to shoulder um trying to run 515 pace uh it was uh it was incredible i'd never seen so many fast runners in such a uh, a big pack in a marathon it was pretty cool yeah i mean obviously a world marathon major is going to have a lot of elite runners certainly and then you know also it's it's fair share of you know i wouldn't say sub elite but you know the people kind of like that ne next tier down and then you know you'll have a lot of other marathons which are pretty big time not a world marathon major but like Say like Rhode Island, like the Providence Marathon or something like that, or like or you go to Hartford. I live in New England. So like the Hartford Marathon, where like if you run a 227, like you're probably gonna win, or at worst be on the podium. What what have been your other marathon experiences like in terms of let's like the high quality fields and where you finish within them? Um, so I actually ran Chicago in October. Um, kind of had the same until about a week before that race, had the same goal of trying to go out and run uh, under 219. However, um, leading up to the race, my coach and I had talked about just maybe going for low 220s and uh, and then turning around and doing CIM later. I had some some things that were kind of like going to get in the way this in Chicago. And one was that I, I was starting with the A Corral rather than the athlete development program. And so that kind of put me in the back the the elites started a minute and a half before us so there was no way I was going to find any kind of pack to run the the pace I was trying to run so I ran jumped from um, pack to pack ran with the lead American girls pack for a little while ended up running 223.08 at Chicago um, 
took a little time off and then got got right back into training to run CIM. Yeah, I mean, that could be a pretty quick turnaround. And obviously, when you have that Olympic trials qualifying goal as something that's not just a, a big you know, a big step up and, you know, obviously a great time, but oh, certainly um, calendar dependent. Mm-hmm. When you and your coach were deciding how you were going to attack 2019, when did you kind of figure out which races you were going to do and how you were going to plan things out? Well, um, so I ran a, let's see, I ran a half marathon. I was, um, I ran a half marathon in February and I ran one oh or one one fourteen. Um, this was maybe I had I hadn't actually gotten with the coach yet. Uh, it was maybe um, a couple weeks before I decided to go with this coach. I was trying to qualify for the elite field at Grandma's, or I guess uh, Gary B. Jorklin half marathon at the Grandma's at the Grandma's marathon. Um, the 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 half was full, and so I thought if I could get into the um, the elite field and it was, I think it was below 71. So, um, below 111, I was going to be able to get into that elite field and possibly get into the race. Um, I went out and ran 114, uh, another pretty bad experience, pretty painful experience, but, um, I, uh, I got it. I ended up getting into the race anyway. So I ran the half marathon in June at the grandma's marathon and, uh, I ran, so from then it was like, we're going to go out and try and run under 110. Um, and then I, I don't, I, it's out of nowhere. I, I ran 107 and I, I'm, him and I were both not really sure how uh, it happened. But until then, I mean, we didn't really have any goals. Uh, I ran my first marathon a year ago and ran 236. So, I mean, our goals were, were pretty like, average um we wanted to run maybe under 230 for the next marathon this this last year 2019 and to get under 110 in the half marathon so when you ran 107 it was like a a complete paradigm shifting moment for not only what you thought was possible generally speaking but what you thought you were going to try to do within the next calendar year absolutely yeah it, it was it was a complete shock to me um my coach as well he was like you know what we can we can do something this year we he after i ran that he said we're gonna we're gonna go for this olympic trial qualifier and when he said that i was like oh yeah yeah right (laughs) um but man i'll tell you what i i we put in some miles and uh i listened to every single thing he said and he got me down to 223 uh in october i'm i was i was pretty impressed um because i i don't know what i'm doing i'm pretty new to the sport yeah, and let's and we can dive into that in a second. I do want to just follow up on this 107 because it is so interesting, you know, to have someone drop, you know, 4 minutes in a race. You know, even at the marathon level is a significant improvement to say nothing of dropping 4 minutes when you're already running really fast. I mean, from a percentage drop, it's that's it's enormous. So looking back on it with, you know, ability to kind of you know, view your training and your lead up um, hindsight 2020, you know, and all that. What do you think, looking back, may have been um, some keys to, you know, th- or signs, I should say, that 107 was something that you were capable of, even though you might not have known that at the time? Um, so, that's, so I think to answer that question, I'd never really had any real training. I kind of joined um, one of the, like, one-size-fits-all training groups here in town and uh, it was a great group greatest experience I I found my love for running um, in this group and uh, but I just you know we we ran about 50 to 60 miles a week and the workouts were short and um, you know it was two three times a week during the week running and then a a, a Saturday long run Um, I got that and so that got me through uh, CIM last year. After CIM last year, I um, my one of my really good friends had this coach. His name is Jeff Cunningham, and she ran the Houston Marathon. She ran two thirty three at the Houston Marathon. Her debut marathon was two thirty three, um, and I was like, I want to be with this guy. <laughs> so I uh, I talked to her, and she connected me with him. And he's like, Yeah, let's let's do it. It was um, 
he was interested because of having started to run at the beginning of that year and running 236, he was interested in like, well, maybe this could be something. Um, and sure enough, so I guess you asked about the training, maybe how I thought I could run under 110 or um, even down to 67 minutes. I, uh, I did a lot of long workouts. So his style is to do a lot of long long workouts, not necessarily really high weekly mileage, but our Wednesday workout is maybe, um, anywhere from like 12 to 16 miles of work and maybe even 18 to 20 for that day because of like warm ups and cool downs and recoveries. Um, but being able to do those workouts, um, there was, a, there was one in particular that I wasn't even really, it was for one of my friends that he was also coaching that was running the grandma's full marathon. And so we ended up doing a 22 miler and it was something like, uh, it was like four by four mile repeats with a mile in between each. And after that workout, he said, he, he told me, he's like, that's the best workout of your life. And he said, we need to, we need to really focus on this uh, half marathon. Cause you can, you could run it pretty fast. This is basically what he told me. So first of all, who was your friend who ran the 233 debut marathon? Her name is Rachel Baptista. She is uh she was a, a a a really good runner in college. I think she ran it at Colorado and then she went to Tulsa. Um moved back here to Austin and I guess her first half marathon was I guess she ran a, a 72 maybe. Um she won the Dallas half marathon, won our won our big 10k here in Austin, capital 10k. Yeah, she's she's great. She's a she's a very impressive runner, and then went out to Houston for her first marathon and and ran uh, two thirty three. Oh man, that is awesome! Well, good for her, and, yeah. and good for you to, to to recognize that and be and kind of you know step up. And as someone who hasn't had a lot of running experience, which someone probably hears your times and it's like, wait, what? But <laughs> given the fact that you didn't have it at that point, good of you to, to reach out to this coach and be like, hey, I think you'd be a good fit. So. Before we dive into what you've been doing kind of since grandma's, which obviously is something that um, you know, you, you've done so well since then, let's talk about why you didn't have a lot of running experience. And I know that you've been very open and honest on Instagram about a lot of this, but maybe, a lot, maybe people who are listening right now don't follow you and, and aren't aware of these things. So I guess, first of all, um, let's talk about you know ages 19 to 26. What was going on in your life? Yeah, well, let me actually let me start a little before that. I uh, I ran I ran track in high school for my freshman and sophomore year of high school, um, and I wasn't I, w- I was decent. I, I I never really gave it my full attention. Um, at um, at that point, I was I was into m- other things. Uh, I didn't really love the sport, but I uh, I was decent. And then my junior year came around, and I didn't want to do it anymore. And so I, I maybe could have even had a college. Um, career of, of running. Um, I, I don't know, but I definitely, I got into drinking and using drugs uh, pretty young. And I, I, you, you asked about the, um, from 19, 19 is when the drugs got real heavy. They got, I got into more of like the hard drugs, less of the, the party drugs, if, if you will, the, the drugs, the, um, it wasn't fun really anymore. It was more of just like doing it to be okay. But um, in in high school, there there was just a lot of things I I would have rather done than than run. And looking back, I, I try and not say, oh, I, I regret it. Um, I don't regret it. I but I, I catch myself being like, oh, well, what would have happened if I would have like run track in college and everything? And then I I take a step back and I'm like, you know what? That's not the experience I had. I'm where I am today because of everything that I've been through. Uh, well, let's, yeah. let's, let's talk about that first because you, you brought up and I think it's, it's interesting because what do you think um, led you to start using these party drugs more than just like, say, more than maybe some of your peers or maybe like, all right, you know, a lot of kids in high school will try things and they'll just try them. And that's kind of the end of the story. And that doesn't end up being part of their life or even something that's even uh, a habit on any level. Most of my friends, you know, they, they tried it, they did it for a little maybe, and then they put it down. They're like, okay, that was great. Let's move on. You know, it's time to, it's time to apply for schools. It's time to, to do homework. It's time to, you know, do, get a job. And it's just like, for me, I was, I don't really know 
why it was different for me. Um, I, I do believe that maybe, I, you know, I don't know if I believe it. I, I believe that there could be some kind of genetic um, component to it. Maybe it was um, how I was raised. I, I grew up in Dallas and I, I grew up in, in Dallas proper. Um, so I was exposed pretty young. I had a lot of friends with older brothers and that's where we started drinking from. That's, that's where we got the ideas of drinking from because we thought it was cool. And then it just kind of like my friends, not even, I, I didn't really even, my best friends didn't go to the same high school as me. Um, they went to a couple other, there was two other, two best friends. They both went to other high schools and we kind of just like found each other. We, we like to have fun. We like to drink. We like to party. And, um, from there it was, it was that. And then they kind of, after a little after high school, maybe halfway through college, they just kind of put it down and like got serious. And I did not, it actually, the worst came after all of that. Um, and I, I don't, I don't really know why. I don't know why. So once you got to age 19 and things started to become, you know, a little bit, you know, you started doing harder drugs and, um, again, it wasn't, as you put it, it wasn't a party situation. It was doing drugs to be okay. Because obviously when you say that, I'm assuming you're intimating that at that point you were addicted. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So um, what, what was that? So you meant just meant you weren't, you, you can't like put a finger on like why things kind of spiraled, but can you, can you think back to a time where you, you began to realize that you were no longer choosing to use drugs that you were kind of in the grip of it? Yeah, I actually, I remember uh, a pretty clear, vivid moment of me being like, I cannot stop. I, I was a freshman. No, I was a sophomore in college at the University of Arkansas. I was a sophomore in college and I had started. Okay, so you're, this is a little bit funny. It's like anyone who uses uh, heroin is going to say, you know, I'm addicted. But like it, it actually took a little while. For a long time, I thought I had it under control. I thought that um, I could use it every once in a while. And it, it wasn't until I was way too deep un, over my, I was way too, um, I was way over my head before, and I, and I had realized like, I, I cannot stop. I don't know what to do. I, I, I told my roommate, I was like, I think I need to go to rehab. I had no idea what rehab was. I, I had, you know, heard that people who have drug problems go to rehab. I didn't know what that entailed. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but I, I remember I, I was pro I was 19 years old and I had been using heroin using heroin for about two or three maybe four months and I was like I I, I cannot stop I try I would try to stop by this time not only was I physically addicted like I had the withdrawal symptoms the but I was I I would have times where maybe I would run out or run out of money and I would have to detox and it would be about a week and I'd be like okay I've I've detoxed. I'm never going to go through that again. And then the next day I find myself um, looking looking to get high again. And I did. Inevitably, I did every time. And when you were at that stage, like how often would you use in a day? Like what, what, what would, what's, what is like, what is the schedule like for a habitual user like you at that point in your life? Uh, at that point, it was every, every, uh, I wake up in the morning. So um, heroin is is one of those that has very, very extreme withdrawal symptoms. So like the more you use it, the more it wear the quicker it wears off, the more you need it quicker, the more the big the larger amount that you need. It's it's really a progressively uh, it gets it progressively gets worse the more the longer you use it. So I by that time, um, if I didn't have it first thing when I woke up, I was very sick. And if I didn't have it, I mean, if, if I had it my way, it was like, that was what I did that day. I, I would get high all day long. Um, it wasn't always like that, but it was at least, you know, three, four times a day at, at minimum when I woke up and then in the afternoon and then before I went to bed. So obviously your roommate was aware of this. You know, you just said that you shared it with him. So who else in your life during, say, your college years or late teens, early 20s, who else became aware of your drug use besides, like, the people who you, you were using with or buying it from? Um, I uh, The first time I actually went to treatment, I guess it was um, 
well, so my my best friend, he lived in Dallas. He's actually my one of my roommates right now. Um, he, I, I missed his birthday. I didn't call him on his birthday, and he had kind of suspect some things were were going on. But it wasn't until that happened that he was like, something is wrong. Like I, I hadn't missed his birthday in the last. I don't know. We've been best friends since the fifth grade. I hadn't missed his birthday in in years, and so he actually called my mom and was like, uh, Mitchell has a problem and I, I'm pretty sure he's on drugs. And, and honestly, like at the time I, I got mad, but it was like, I mean, who knows what could have happened if I had kept going. Um, you know, I mean, every time someone kind of intervened, I look at it as like, what could have happened if they hadn't done that? If I'd kept going down that road at that particular time. Um, so he called my mom and my mom drove, up to Fayetteville where I was living. And she's like, I know something's going on. Like, I know, I think you're on. And that was kind of the first time that my parents found out that I was like using these hard drugs that before it was like, you know, I smoked a little weed, maybe did a little bit of cocaine um, or any of those little, the party drugs, the, the pills, the ecstasy and stuff. I had been busted doing that. And it was one of those like, and, and I understand it. It's like, who, who thinks that their son is actually the one that's going to get addicted? <clears throat> it's like, oh, I caught you. You're never going to do it again. I'm like, I'm never going to do it again now that I've got, been in trouble for this. Uh, and so, the, I mean, I'm, that's how they felt about it. And, you know, I, of course, I would lie and say that that's true, knowing that I, I would definitely do it again. But this time she had driven up to Arkansas. And um, this was when it actually kind of got real for them was... And, and I was honest because I was miserable. I wanted something to change. I just didn't know how. So we, we actually, that was the end of my, um, that was the end of my first semester of my sophomore year of college. And we drove back to Dallas after that. And uh, I checked into rehab for the first time. And what was that rehab experience like? I mean, like, what, what was logistically the setup? Like, how long were you there for? Was this was like, a, were you boarding there? Like, what was the kind of um, logistics of it? Yeah, uh, it was, I had no idea what I was getting into. And on the, like, when we first get there on the tour, it actually looked kind of like, not a resort, but it looked like like a getaway kind of thing. Um, I, I did live there. I I stayed there. This So I've, I've been to treatment a, f- a few times Um six times actually uh this was the first time so i went in there and and i lived there and i was going to check in for 30 days and everyone that i knew me my parents my friends were like okay he's gonna go here i'm gonna go here for 30 days they're gonna teach me how to drink and use drugs like a normal person i'll leave and i'll go back to normal i'll go back to college and i'll be able to like put it down when it's time to study or put it down when I have a commitment. That was what I thought. And that's what I relayed to my parents. Um, uh, Counselors in the rehab told me I was completely wrong and that's not at all how it worked. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I kind of went along with it. I was like, yeah, you know, I'd maybe mumble a few times. Like, I'm not going to quit drinking. I'm not going to quit, but I, you know, I I, want to detox and I want to get control of it. Um, I feel like that's kind of an ex- a common experience for f- people's first time into treatment. And I, I kind of know that because through the other treatment centers that I've been through, I've seen people come in with the same attitude that I had. And I, and, and I just, I don't try and force them. I don't try and tell them that it's going to be different because it, it, it doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way for me. I had to go through every experience that I went through in order to finally believe I had to try every way to quit, every way to moderate. I had to try it all myself before I really truly believed that there was no other way except for completely quitting and being completely sober. So why do you think that is where there's such a stark difference between being told what the path entails and actually walking that path? Gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I I think that, um, I think that I'm stubborn, I, and, but I know that it's not just me. I, I've seen it. Right. Yeah. Times. It's just not you. I mean, like you just mentioned, like there's, you saw people, you know, who had the, who had, went through the exact same sort of, you know, onboarding experience as you did. I don't, I don't know why that is. I don't know why. Um, it may, maybe just because no one wants to admit that they can't, uh, 
that they can't, that their willpower isn't strong enough to just um, moderate something. I, I guess that is maybe what it is. And do you think part of it too is that like if it hasn't, you know, had a completely devastating impact impact on their life, they view it like okay, I can st- I can go back in time to when this was a positive experience in my life as opposed to a negative. That is a hundred percent it. That, I mean, that's and that was the trend from for the next seven years was that like I would get sober, I would go to treatment, and I'd get out, and I would only we call it's called like glorifying i would only remember the good parts i didn't remember how completely miserable i was um not being able to hold anything down because i was vomiting and very sick to my stomach and just sick as a dog i never remembered that part it was all the the beginning when it was fun and it was great and i could control it and that's that that was all i could my brain would let me remember um it, it, I've, I've gotten to a place now and especially like in my early sobriety this time around, I've been sober for, um, four and a half years. Uh, but in, in early recovery, I had to, I had to really learn to, they say, play the tape through. It's like, okay, yes, it's fun in the beginning, but what happens next? Inevitably what happens next? And that's that I can't control it. I, inevitably get in trouble. I hurt my family. I hurt my friends. I spend all my money. I drop out of school. I lose a job. These are the things that happen every single time. And I get, it just took, I, I, I'm stubborn. It took me a, a, a good amount of time um, to really realize that I cannot, that I, I'm a, a word, I'm powerless. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. So when you say powerless, obviously that also on some levels connected to willpower. So when, when you're, you know, you're like you just mentioned, you're four and a half years sober now, and we can talk about that moment four and a half years ago, or that, that those moments leading up to then. And then after then, which have led you down this current path, where, where does willpower play a role in, you know, maintaining sobriety and where does it not? Cause I feel like, and even, even, even with me, I feel like there's a, an incomplete understanding from someone who hasn't gone through this about how much is willpower related and how much isn't. So I'll, I don't want to get too far. So I, I, I work, I work a 12 step program. Um, and I don't want to get into that completely because it's, um, it's, it's supposed to be, it's anonymous and I, want to protect the anonymity of the people in it and what they're doing. Um, but I, I can say this about the willpower is that me on my own willpower, I cannot put the drugs down, nor can I keep from picking them up once I've been clean for a certain amount of time. But what I can do is choose to, to work on myself, choose to work this program that um, when I, I, I work a set of principles. I stay sober. I, I don't um, quite know how to get into it any further without really. Um, I, I just don't want to say too much because I know that it's it's a anonymous program. That's that's so anyway. So the the willpower I choose to do the things that I know will help me stay sober. Right. No. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and and there's been a lot of people who have you know written about twelve step programs and, and shared about them and their experience in their life, and as well as you know kind of like taking the broader principles from twelve step and say, hey, like you know, there's a lot here that can help a lot of people, not just people who are addicted to something, and that there's you know certain mindfulness practices and being self aware and and you know connecting to a higher power. That can you know is kind of a universal um, can be a universal steps to achieving the best version of you. I guess is a way of putting it. So um, uh, and, and I mean I'm I, I just just real quick. I'm glad you said that because that is so. When I completely made the decision to just give up and take these steps, um, the the first thing that happened was. I quit wanting to get high. I lost this obsession with wanting to get high. I was okay with myself. Afterwards, it was just like, <clears throat> and I want to say miracle, but these things just, it, it was not even about using drugs and alcohol anymore. It was about like living my best life. Like you just said, uh, I, just things just kept happening. I kept trying to do the best that I could and great things just kept happening. 
And when things, great things weren't happening, it th- things weren't going my way, it was okay. It was okay because I knew I was going to be okay regardless of what happens. I have tools. I have people to talk to. I have great friends and I have my family back. I, I know that I'm going to be okay. And that is honestly like the greatest thing that has that I have gotten out of this this whole thing is that like, I know that I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. And I, it, it really helps. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to work for something. I'm not going to just wait for it to just be handed to me. Um, but I'm not disappointed when I don't get what I want. And I know that it's not, it may not be the right time. And maybe later I, I'll keep working and I'll enjoy every step of, of the way. Yeah. And it's almost paradoxical, right? When you have this feeling of like not needing, 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 wanting, 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 all of a sudden, by letting go in some form or fashion, you start getting the things that before you had desperately wanted, but because you were either holding too tight or had, you know, focus on wrong on the, on the incorrect things while still trying to get to that destination, all of a sudden it just frees things up to flow to you. Again, I don't want to sound too woo woo about it, but at this, at the same time, like, you know, that can be very real. And it's something that a lot of people have experienced, whether they've gone through addiction or not. And it's so interesting when like you take that detached approach from um, you know, the what happens in the moment and trying not to like connect the, connect all the dots of life, how things can just mellow out and all of a sudden things can just work so much more smoothly and harmoniously. Yeah, no, you you are one hundred percent absolutely right about that. It, and it, it has been it has been a great journey, and I and I know that it's it's just the beginning. Uh, as far I'm very young in sobriety, I'm very young in in running years, and I, I just ha- I'm I'm very excited for the future. And and I was before I was very excited before I even started running. Um, just these things just keep like, and that was one of the biggest uh, gifts or miracles was that I like made this decision. We can uh, I don't I guess. When do you want to get into this? But I, uh, I got sober and I was still very, very unhealthy. I had very, very bad habits. I was, uh, and I, uh, it wasn't until three, maybe let's see, I guess I'd been sober two years and I decided that I wanted to like start to change some things. And then I guess my third year of sobriety, I decided I want to start running. Right. Um, well, yeah, let's talk about that now because it's not as if you were like, you know, I'm living like the runner's lifestyle, except for this heroin addiction, right? It's not right, like, yeah, you, right, you exactly. know, it's like I was putting in 70 miles a week and I also happened to be doing heroin on the side. Like yeah. you didn't, yeah, you had yeah. a long way to go even, you know, post, post sobriety or you know, once you got sober to, to get to the point where you are now. So let's talk about not only the habits of like living a healthy lifestyle, but what about you know, when did running all of a sudden re-enter your consciousness, not only as something intriguing and something you used to do earlier in life, but something that you wanted to pursue again? Um, so I guess uh, I started, let's see, let me try and put this timeline together. Like I said, I got sober four and a half years ago, and that was about all that changed, was that I wasn't drinking, I wasn't using drugs, I was I didn't really know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to keep a job. I didn't know how to um, pay bills. I ate awful, I ate horrible food and I was okay with it. And I was, you know, I was like, kind of like, I'm not going to say I thought it was cool, but it was like this kind of grungy, like, I don't know, hippie thing. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And and that, that changed very quickly. I, I got over that very quickly. And I guess about, um, two years sober, I was like, you know what? I've smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I, I smoked a lot of cigarettes. That was kind of the thing of us sober people was we drank coffee and smoked a lot of cigarettes. Um, uh, two years in, I, I put the cigarettes down. I actually joined a, a boot camp, like a, like a, a hit training, a interval training boot camp. And I, I, I was walking my dog through this park um, close to the house and I was smoking a cigarette and I walked past these, this boot camp and they looked like they were having so much fun and they were working so hard. And I walked by and I was like, what is, what is it? What are y'all doing? And, and um, this gentleman who actually be, is, is one of my really good friends today, he's like, well, this is my, uh, my boot camp. We're called Organic Fitness and Training. He's like, you should come try it out. And so the following week, I started there on a Monday. I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, 
that weekend I smoked, I had, I quit smoking that week. I was like, I'm done. I smoked another cigarette that Saturday and it hurt so badly. And then that was the last cigarette I ever smoked. Um, and from there I was kind of like, I, I wasn't quite hooked, but I was, I was like pre-hooked. I was ready to change my lifestyle and get healthy and be fit. Um, and as soon as I started exercising, everything else kind of came together. I started eating healthier. I wanted to fuel my body so that I could exercise. And I knew I wasn't going to do that eating cheeseburgers and fried chicken and um, Twinkies and all of the, the junk I would eat before. Um, so it, it really, and so a year of doing boot camp, I was like, there was, there was a track meet in our, t- a local little track meet that anyone can join. And I was like, I want to run a five minute mile. And I was like, cause hey, that's like, what about what I ran um, my friend or my sophomore year of high school? I ran just under a five minute mile. I was like, I want to run a five minute mile. And uh, like really thinking to myself, like that is almost impossible. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to do it, but I want to try. Um, I didn't run that year in the track meet. That was, a, it was a July. I actually waited till, uh, I guess I ran in it the next year, but I started running in January, uh, two years ago. And, um, so that summer I ran in the track meet and I ran the mile. Um, but the day that I decided I wanted to start running, I went and I couldn't run half a mile. I, I ran down the trail, um, half a mile and I stopped and rested and I ran back and that was my run for the day. Um, what was your inner monologue like that day? Were you were you excited and giving yourself grace, or were you kind of bummed out? Oh no, I was I was like, man, I can run for half a mile. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was. I, I probably ran. I, I looking back, I probably ran what I run on my easy days, but it, it felt really fast. Like I was like, man, I'm I'm really moving, um, and I was very excited. And then from there, it, it was a, a long, hard road, and it was took a lot of work, but I enjoyed all of it. I enjoyed working towards the goal of the small goals that I had of running a five minute mile, um, the small goal of I had of completing a 10 K and then completing a half marathon. And then actually like wanting to, um, improve on my times after that. So do you think that let me ask you this question. Okay, so you obviously had like pushed your body to the brink in your younger and mid twenties. So, do you think by doing that and feeling how your body felt during those experiences that you were more aware and sensitive to how good it felt when you started living healthily? Because I have lived healthy life. I like there are times where I'm healthy and times where I'm unhealthy. And while I'm aware of it, it doesn't have this lasting impression on me. Do you think that you were more sensitive to those feelings because you'd experienced the far other side of the range? You know, that's a, I, I've never really thought of it like that. But now that you say that, I, I, I even just like, y- yes, the answer is yes. I do think so because I felt so horrible for so long that even just becoming sober, I felt so good. And then just um, a, a little like, 20 minute exercise workout in the morning, I felt so. And then the more and more I did, the more, um, the more fitness I gained, the more I started to eat healthy, the more I started to eat, um, things that were going to nourish my body and, um, give me energy, the better. I I definitely, I I think, I think that, yeah, I think so. I, I definitely think so. So what was your improvement like during that first year of running? So you just mentioned like, so you started from half mile run, stop, rest, half mile back, right? Mm -hmm. That was exactly three years ago. It was probably, I got an Apple watch for Christmas and my mom got me an Apple watch and I was like, I'm going to go run. And that was when it started. So it was probably not, um, it was probably right now, three years ago that I went down to our, to this trail that we have around the lake in the, in the, right in the downtown Austin area and I ran that and I, I told my mom, I was like, I want an Apple watch. I want to start running. And uh, so January, I um, I guess I, I joined a running group in, in March, but I, I started running on my own in January. Um, and the progression, I guess, we'll, we'll just call it a mid-December. I couldn't run half a mile straight. Um, January, maybe by February, I started to be able to string some, uh, 
runs together. I probably did like a 10 mile long run, um, on Saturday and I ran my first 10 K in March or April. I ran a, a 36 high 36 minute and something <laughs> oh my God. high 10 K. <laughs> Uh, Mitch, oh my god you ran 36 high in the 10k in your first race yeah 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 that, that oh was, my god i re- yeah and then i uh from there in may i ran a half marathon um i ran 116 high um and that was i kind of got the attention of my coach my and that was in my um that i ran in this running group who is his name is Gilbert Tabunye, uh, greatest man I've, I've ever, one of the greatest men I've ever known. He is, um, he's got a heck of a story too. He's from uh, Burundi and he's now here in Austin and he has a, one of, my opinion, the best running group in town. But he is, he, I walked into the door, I walked in the doors at this running shop looking for a pair of shoes and looking for like some kind of information on who I could run with. This was probably February. And uh, the running store, who the owners of this running store are now my two of my very best friends. They're uh, Pam and Ryan Hess. They own the Loop Running Supply here here in Austin. Of course, and, that place is like nationally known. I mean, I've never been to Austin, but even I know about the Loop. Uh, yeah, so uh, um, they are two of my very best friends. I walked in not knowing a single thing, and they introduced me to Gilbert, and they they invited me on runs. And the, and so from then it was just like, and I have such a, um, a loyalty to them because of how they helped me early on. They, I, I hadn't, I didn't know a single person and they just brought me in and introduced me to people over and over. And I just, it, my best friends are because of Pam and Ryan. My best friends today are because of Pam and Ryan and who they have introduced me to in this running community. So what was a bigger, and I feel like I already know the answer to this question, but I have to ask, what do you think was a bigger draw for you with running your own athletic performance and improvement and how you were feeling or the social community that started to form around you? Uh, uh, the community, the community was what I was looking for my whole life. Um, and this, this community is a, the people are just, they're so hard. And this is how I like, and I, it just, it was so attractive to me early on was that they work so hard and they, um, becomes everyone becomes so close because we work so hard together and we put all these miles in and we we struggle together and it has just um that was i think the community starting off was huge still today and i've actually um talked about this in some of my other instagram posts it's like um my best friends are these people that i run with and that that's honestly it's not why i do it but it's a huge part of it it's like i i've got these great friends in this great community and they love me and I love them. And it's never, I've never had that. I've never had genuine, um, real. I, okay. I have a couple best friends from growing up, but other than that, like I've never had people love me for me and because they want to hang out with me and because, and that's, it's just something that's really great. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when we're younger, oftentimes, you know, our friends are because of proximity right? Like they're, they grew up in our neighborhood or they happen to be on the team that we were on. You know what I mean? So they might not live near us, but proximity wise, they're with us after school. And then in college, sometimes you are able to start to attract friends simply out of like your own, you know, things that you enjoy, right? Like in in high school, it's much more proximity based, you know, college or post high school, all of a sudden friendships are much more connected to what you like and what you do in life. And because of what you were doing at the, that age, I can see why your friend group probably wasn't something that was going to be, you was probably being a little bit more transient than what you're experiencing now. Yeah. That's 100% true. Yeah. I, uh, most of the people who were my friends then wanted something from me and I wanted something from them. That was basically the level of, um, of friendship or uh, I don't not necessarily never intimacy. It was never like an intimate friendship. It was just transactional. What can I get from you? Yeah. Transactional. What can I get from you? And what can you get from me? Yeah. And for a long time, I thought this is for, these are friends. This is what it feels like to have friends. And then I, I figured later, later I, fi- I, I saw who my real friends when I got sober, who were the ones that had um, accepted me back in. I, and I had, a, I had, two or three that had just kind of 
tough love, uh, let me alone and said like, man, you've got to figure your shit out because you can't take me down with you and I can't watch you kill yourself. Um, but when I, uh, when I did get sober, it, it was like, we'd never left. It was like, we never left each other and we, we are best friends to this day. Um, but that, that's kind of a side. And so there, I have a couple, I have three and then I have my new friends that I've, um, that I've made in this running community here in Austin. And it, it's even another kind of cool thing is that like, I have friends all over now that I've met at races that I, I, I lived in Flagstaff. I, I went to Flagstaff for a, um, about two months, made some great friends there. Um, and it's like so cool. Cause we see each other all over and we, man, social media, you can really kind of keep up with people <laughs> through social media. And it's, I think it's, I think it's really cool. Yeah. So I mean, you're like, to think about, it, I know that you were, you really wanted to OTQ, you know, going into Chicago, you're running hard here. You are running another marathon um you know just you know what man month and a half later you're you're like you're towing the start line at cim with like the biggest otq group in the country you know trying to hang on to that group for as long as you can so obviously you know when things don't go our way when we work really hard for them of course that's going to be disappointing on some level but for you how is it how do you manage that disappointment in light of the fact that you know all told all these things that you're doing are huge positives. Well, so I just want to, I want to take this back to, uh, I, I, was t- I was telling you about running that mile in the track meet and I was, I was, I, I get, I, I put so much pressure on myself and I was, I was ready to be so disappointed if I didn't run what I wanted to run. And, and my, my best friend who I, who I live with, who is, who's the one who's been with me since the beginning and through it all. And then, um, all the way till now, but he was like, dude, you shouldn't even be alive. Like, you anything you do from here on out is a blessing and and that's just my attitude with running from here on out it's like i don't make the olympic trials but you know what i'm alive and i get to run there are people who don't there are people there are people who are paralyzed who have lost limbs who just who don't have the ability who cannot run and i get to do that every day and it's just it's been it and i i say this um in some of my posts too but i don't i don't think running has saved my life but it's like it's completely changed it into something that I never thought it would be. Uh, and, and that's how I, I, I just remain, I stay grateful and everything that I do from here on out is, is completely a blessing because I, I've gotten a second chance at life and I, I don't, I, I don't let the, the things like disappointment, um, I don't let it bring me down, but, and of course I was a little disappointed, but you know what? I'll work harder this time I'm, I'm, it's not the end of the world. I've got plenty of time. I'm, I'm only 30 years old. I'm young and running years. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I, I'm going to enjoy every minute along the way. I mean, that's just a wonderful mindset, uh, whether it's running related or not. And oftentimes people can adopt that mindset when things are going well. What do you do to ensure that you're going to maintain that mindset, you know, no matter what experiences you're going through? Yeah. So like I said, I have these, I said a little bit earlier, I have these principles that I, that I live by and, and, um, and I don't, I don't really know how to explain that. Like when things aren't going my way, uh, how I don't, I don't let it, I just don't let it bring me down. I think that being upset is a decision and I can either choose to, uh, and not that it's, 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 it's just fine. I, I get mad and I get sad and I get upset, but it's just like, I can choose to say, Hey, what can I learn from this? Um, what can I take from this and what can I do to move forward? Because the way I feel right now isn't going to be forever. It's going to pass. And um, I, I've got people to talk to and I've got the tools that I need to work through it. Um, I don't know if that really answered your question. No, I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And it's something that on a much lesser extent, I've experienced my own life in the last couple months. So I'm not going to compare my mini transformation of what you've gone through because it's not is your, your transformation isn't worthy of that comparison but oh i mean uh, but, but 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 i will say in my own life I, I like almost view it i like to put things in like into an image mindset um where like i view it as like you know like say something happens that's like a bummer or it's frustrating or it's something that would make me angry i almost view it like i'm on a highway and like that's an off-ramp i can choose to take or i cannot and it's like, or I could just keep going down the road. And you know what I mean? So it's not like I didn't experience the emotion, but like I can choose to act on it or to connect it to outcomes and connect it to 
my own expectations or a whole host of things. Or, and this is something that I never thought I had, where I never thought it was a choice. I just thought it was cause and effect, where now I view it as a choice of like, or I can just not do any of those things and just say, oh yeah, that was a bummer. Oh well, <laughs> and just kind of keep yeah, moving yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. on that same road. And it's funny how like, I don't know why I never thought about that in the past, but I didn't. And now I do. And I don't know how <laughs> yeah. you, I don't know if you have so similar, you know, visualizations or how you frame it within your own mind. No, I think that that's, I, I've, I've not thought of it like that, but I think I've thought of it similarly. Um, I, I just, and it's hard to say exactly what I do when things aren't going my way. Um, other than just like, I, I work through it and I, I talk to myself and I say, you know what? this is okay. I can feel this way. I don't have to get upset and I can, and like you said, I can just keep going. And that's what, and that's what I've done so far. Um, and, and I have, like I said, I have these friends that I run with and I have this best friend that I live with that I talk to. And it's, it's the coolest thing that I I think it's a very rare, um, uh, relationship to have where, where I can, as a man, I can bring up the way I feel and I can say, this is frustrating me. This has upset me. And, and it's anyone who's not in my own mind, who my own mind is going to rationalize and say, this is how I should feel, or this is actually the way it's going. And it's actually not going that way. It's like, as soon as I can uh, uh, vocalize it and tell it to somebody and they can be like, no, dude, you, you can, you can get through this. You can, you can do this to change it. You can. Um, and, and that's something like lately I've been going through a situation and it's like, if I've talked about it enough to him, he's like, you definitely need to change something about it because you, uh, you're spending way too much time thinking about this. And that, that's, so that's what I'm doing and that I I'm, I'm working on it and I'm changing it and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. And you're doing wonderful things, Mitch. Thank you so much for coming on the show, talking about your running and so much more. It really is a blessing to all of us and good luck in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Mitch, thank you again for coming on the show. I actually had a privilege of meeting Mitch at the Houston, uh, prior to the Houston Marathon in 2020. Uh, and he was a, an awesome guy. He was down there and a really, really special guy. A wonderful conversation. And I wish nothing but the best for Mitch. Go follow him over on Instagram at Mitch Amons. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.